James 1, 13 through 18. Here's what God's word says. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth, and by the word of his truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So reads the holy and inerrant word of God. You may be seated. Well, James, what a book it is. Very practical in its nature. Uh, Dr. Wilson said this about uh, the book of James. He said, you know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said, he's such a loving guy. He goes, I've never so lovingly been punched in the face as James seems to do to all of us. But I trust that when I'm done with the sermon today, you'll see there's both grace and truth uh, woven through this particular text. But, but the text I just got done reading to you, at least the first few verses, it's dealing primarily uh, with temptation to do evil, temptation to do evil. Uh, there's a difference in temptation and trials. Remember, John has just got done as we've gone verse by verse. He's talked a lot about those trials. And, and Satan tempts and God tests our faith. Uh, Satan tempts, but, but God tests our faith. And it's in those tests, it's in those trials where we will be tempted to do evil. And that kind of sets up the text. It's almost as if Pastor James is, he's anticipated something. It's almost like he's anticipated an objection uh, from the faithful. Remember, he's talking to the church. He's the leader of the Jerusalem church, right? So he's almost like he's anticipated something from the faithful. And he says, listen, don't confuse trials, what we just got done teaching about, or what you learned about, with temptation. Because trials help to keep your faith alive. Let me say that again. Trials help and aid you to keep your faith alive. And various trials purify God's people. Isn't that the truth? Temptation, though, is a whole different animal. So my sermon title today is The Truth About Temptation. The Truth About Temptation. It has been said, you may have heard this said before, uh, to sin is human. To blame it on God is even more human. Yeah. And, and we have a propensity to blame God for lots of things. Maybe you've heard these before, people blaming God for this. You know, well, well God, you made me this way. That, that's why I do what I do. Or, or you're the one that put me in this position. Or, and remember what Adam said. Adam, you know, think about Adam and Eve. Adam said, it was the woman that you gave me. And then Eve said, what was the snake in the garden? And remember that famous comedian, you know, years and years ago, Flip Wilson said that this catchphrase, this comedic catchphrase was, the devil made me do it. He made a lot of money saying the devil made me do it. So it'd be, it, it would seem that James is, he's coming in hot with something. 
he's coming in with some intensity on something. And his words are, uh, they're, they're piercing words, at least in these first, couple of wor- these first couple of verses, which lets us all know where exactly it is that we, as God's people, God's church, should place the blame. How can we accurately and biblically, where do we place the blame when our temptation leads to sin? So look at verses 13 and 14 again. Let no one say, maybe put your name in there. Let let Pastor Charlie never say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. And then it says, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. 14. But each person is is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We see a fishing metaphor there. Pastor Rod would love that. If you want to get to know Pastor Rod, when he preaches, he always uses fishing metaphors. He even introduced himself by saying, my name is Rod, like fishing rod. So we see James on the same page with our pastor. So, so just as we will face various trials, that's what you've already learned, we're going to be facing various temptations. Okay, well, it could lead, lead to that. So the daily temptation that one faces is different. It, your temptation might be different than my temptation, but we're all going to be dealing with various temptations. You know, Maybe some of you may be facing that temptation of, of anger. Uh, maybe it's dishonesty, laziness, resentment, bitterness, or even impurity. But, but, but what James is saying, look, you might be dealing with those things, but that's not because of God. There's no evil in him. He's holy and pure and he's righteous. That's not in him. He's saying that's coming from you. But the descriptors that he uses are very, very significant. And there's a progression in what happens when we succumb to such a temptation. Uh, Perhaps you, like me, have placed a greater trust in your own instincts. Uh, You place that trust in your own instincts rather than relying on God's wisdom. You go forth and do something because of your instincts. It's natural to do that. And isn't it natural to sin? We go with our own instincts. And, and temptation is acted upon when we think, when we think we don't have what we need. Temptation is acted upon when we think we don't have what we need. So James now comes to this church, this lovely church, and he makes it clear to the church. Don't blame God. For when you do act on temptation, temptations that are evil, don't be saying God made you do it. Don't say God made you do it, that God made you this way. So he's saying, no, that's on you. I need you to own up to it. Let's put the blame where the blame begins, your sinful nature. Because that's what's inside of you. That's what's coming out of you. Think about our Lord in heaven. What was coming out of him when he went into that garden? What was coming out of the Lord? What was coming, what was coming out of the Lord is what he was putting into himself as he communed with the Father. The word of God was coming out of him, right? So it's the sinful nature inside of us. And I think I'll just pause right here and say, everybody here is probably saying, I already knew that. And praise God. But the definitions and describing these things are really important for the text today. And remember, this is an imperative or a command that James gives. And James plunges even deeper into the hearts of this church 
with a warning. And that's what we're seeing, that fishing metaphor. It's a warning. So anytime somebody gives you a warning, you got to step back and just pause and say, let me look at this. Let me understand this. So the lure, it says here, or the attraction, the bait being used, it may be tempting you. But he's saying, what is your response to the bait? What's it going to take for you to hit the bait? Like a bass, when you're fishing and you're using a lure, a bass will see something shiny and he's attracted to it, so he hits the bait. He's going after it, right? So he's saying, you're doing these things because you have been enticed by your own desires. What is in you is coming out. That's what he's saying. So don't blame God. It has been said that it's just a matter of time before what we're doing privately becomes public for everyone to see. And that's for all of us. What we are in private, those things that we do that we know is sin, we know it's sin because we're sneaking around doing those types of, types of things. And everybody does. This is the problem that I just want to point out right now. Right now, we might be tempted to say, yeah, you know, the guy or the gal sitting next to me, I, I, they need to hear this. And No, no, hold on a second. No, no, we all need to hear this because we all have some bent. Your pastor has a bent towards sin. We all are in this, and it's not just sexual sin. You know, you could be totally moral in your marriage and go to hell. But we like to focus. You ever notice that, at least for me, I like to pick on people whose sins that I don't, I don't deal with. I don't have a same-sex attraction. So it's easy for me to pick on somebody because I don't deal with that. But I got a whole host of other things that I'd be embarrassed to tell you about. But through the grace of God, he's helping me. It's called sanctification. So we all have to agree we're in this thing together. So the pastor James here says, you're in this with me. We're all in it, but I'm going to come in hot and I'm going to give you some truth, but I'm also going to give you a lot of grace. And he, and he, and he gives that to us uh, at the end here. So, beloved, you know, we, I've, I've heard this said to men, but it's not just for men. And it's not just sexual. It's those things that entice you. There's always a hook in the second look. There's a hook in it. Not just sexual. But look at 14. But each person, notice each person, not just Ron Gallerini and Miss Faye. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This own desire, we could, uh, even a better descriptor is we could say something like, it's an uncontrollable rage. When you have this uncontrollable desire, this rage, uh, this, where, where it could be lust of many things, lusting after many things. Here's the, here are the big three. Power, pleasure, possessions. Power, pleasure, possessions. I'll bet my bottom dollar that you guys are all struggling with one of these. That's why we're learning today and sitting at the feet of our Lord as we look at the Word. You see, when we flirt with things, if, let me get, put it this way. If you are watching, uh, you know, if you go home every night and you watch, you know, 
CNN or Fox, whatever, and you spend three hours each night doing that, you're going to become pregnant with politics. You can't help it. That's what's going to be coming out of you. When we flirt with things of the world, when we flirt with power, pleasure, possessions, it's just a matter of time before we become pregnant. And, and, and men, metaphorically, grab this, you, metaphorically, will give birth like a pregnant woman. You're going to get pregnant with these things, you see. And verse 15 specifically gives us this illustration about being pregnant. Look at this. Men as well, listen, men and women. Then desire. Again, the progression. When it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, progression brings forth death. Pregnant. So the imagery is graphic. You know what it's talking about here? A stillborn baby. That's what this means. Think about, a, and some of you have dealt with this, and I want to be sensitive, but it's like waiting for that child to be born. The hopes you have for that child, to hold that child into your life, into your arms, maybe your namesake or whatever it is, and the baby comes out. You've got this joy you can't wait, and what comes out is a stillborn baby. That's the imagery being used. In other words, he's saying, listen, when you chase after these power, the pleasure, the possessions, it's a total bait and switch. You want these things, and they seem good and noble. Listen, sin is fun. That's why people do it. But it doesn't end in fun. The ultimate bait and switch, what one thought was going to be pleasurable, is not. So that's why James says what he says in verse 16. Look at that. Hey, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Listen, someone's being deceived. So he says it. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Like, pay attention. It's not for the other guy, the other gal. Like, don't be, a, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. This word, deceived, this is what it means. It means to be led down the wrong path. Don't be led down the wrong path. Again, this is a warning. We stop and pause. The warning is in the form of a command and imperative. He says, don't allow yourselves to be lured away by your lustful desires. Don't be so deceived that you forsake the truth of the gospel and follow a lie. That's what he's saying. Because, listen, beloved, as we give into temptation, it will not lead to contentment. It will not lead to contentment. Solomon, he reminds us of such things in Proverbs 27, 20. As he says, death and destruction are never, never, ever satisfied. And neither are human eyes. There's a devil at every level, and it intensifies. 
Every time that you and I say yes to temptation, we make it harder and harder to say no the next time. The Lord teaches us that our consciences become seared. Uh, we, as James, uh, is, uh, Paul David Tripp says, we have that inner lawyer within us. I think he says it well. He says, I don't have an inner lawyer. He says, I have an inner law firm that comes out and begins to justify their position because it just gets easier and easier to justify things. And even for Christians, we justify the very things that we used to repent of. We justify the very things that used to break our hearts. Now we justify it. Chuck Swindoll said, each time we yield to temptation, we believe a lie. And what's worse, we start living one too. Conceal. Conceal. The enemy wants you to conceal. God wants you to reveal. What about verse 17? Every good gift. You talk about a change in the in the text here. Every good gift. We're talking about good gifts now. It's like we come from this, this horror of this sin and now he says, you know, every good gift, grace and truth, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation of sh or shadows due to change. Verse 17 says, every good gift, every perfect gift, it is from the Father above, period from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This verse highlights at least two attributes of the Lord. There, there are plenty more here, but at least two that I want to point out in that text. It points out at least two attributes of the Lord. Number one, what God gives is good. What God gives is good. And the way God gives is good. God is a good, good Father. That's what he's saying. God gives us gifts. Uh, God is good. His, his gifts don't cause us grief. His intentions are pure. He is without sin. And the goodness of God never, ever changes. Never. He cannot change for worse because he's holy. He cannot change for better because he's perfect. He can't build upon it. There's no progression for him. There's progression for us. Verse 18 says, of his own will, he brought us forth. Let's just park there for a second. Of his own will, he brought us us forth. What are we contributing to our salvation based upon that? Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. How does he do it? By the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Powerful verse. Again, verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth. The phrase of his own will means that God saves us by a deliberate and influence act of his 
sovereign grace. I like what H.B. Charles has to say about verse 18. I'll quote him at length here. He says, this statement of the source of regeneration occupies the place of emphasis in this verse. Before mentioning the fact or means or goal of regeneration, James states the motivation 